0: I'd like for you to turn to Matthew chapter 12. Now last week I taught on the power of a positive mind. And by a positive mind, I mean the mind that God is changing over from the world's way of thinking to God's way of thinking. We call it the renewing of the mind, to where you're beginning to not only see what God is saying to you, but you're being convicted and challenged by it and you begin to yield yourself to God so that you begin to become what he is telling you to become. So you start thinking like him and you start doing things the way he shows you to do. Every response to God is a positive response. Anytime you do what God tells you to do, you're doing something right because you are putting yourself in agreement with God. Whether you feel like it or whether you understand it all or not, you are willing to do what he said, and as best you know how, the way he said to do it. Now, that was what I would call a positive mind, and the obvious power that comes from that is seen throughout Scripture. That's who God honors. That's who God blesses. We talked about things like peace And thankfulness and the unity that comes when people have like minds, when we're all together thinking the same way, seeking the same things, believing in the same God and in all that God is saying. There's power in that, just like on the day of Pentecost, when they were all together in one place and one accord. There was a visitation that has since affected and brought change into the entire world. So there's power. In seeing things and thinking like God gives us to think. Because a lot of times you talk about a positive mind. You, people think about these teaching meetings that they have around the country to promote success. You know, you got to think this way and you got to see yourself and you got to view yourself as being the best. Actually, God says, here's how you see yourself. See a cross. And you crucify your flesh with its affections and lusts and you become the kind of person that God shows you to be. You yoke yourself up with Christ, and you learn of him, and you become, instead of this aggressive, self-serving person of the world, you become meek and lowly, esteeming others as better than yourself. When you bring that attitude into the church, the church begins to emerge with power. It doesn't have much because the church isn't really like that because of negativity. Today we're going to talk about The power of a negative mind. We've seen the power of a positive mind. What about the power of a negative mind? Most all of us have been and occasionally are or still have negative trains of thought in our minds, in our lives. We hear people say things and we question it. Now, I don't know about all that. And there's times when something is really out of whack and not right that you would do that. But we look at things, we look at situations, we look at decisions that are being made, you're being asked to follow, and a lot of times people won't follow because they're negative. They can't be led because they're negative. It's hard to teach negative people because they want to question what you said. They're very seldom in agreement with you. And that leads to nothing that has to do with power with God because God doesn't teach us ever to be negative towards him and towards each other. So there is power of a negative mind that is not good. Now, in Matthew chapter 12, we'll look at this, verse 33 and following. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, so we're talking about a person, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit, that is the way he acts, talks, his decision-making apparatus, his mental game. It's either corrupt or it's good. It either does what God wants and is a product of God's work, or it stands in opposition to God, does things its own way or continues. I don't know about all that. I'm not too sure about that. That's a negative mind. Listen to what else it says. Jesus says, oh, generation of vipers, that's not good. How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. But I say to you, that every idle word that a man shall speak, he shall give account in the day of judgment, for by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. I want you to notice the use of words here, the word evil. You see the word evil in verse 34? How can you, being evil... Now, Jesus brings a judgment upon the men he's talking to. He says, how can you, I mean, the fruit that you've been displaying all these years of your life have only indicated to people like Jesus that you're evil. Now, there's not many people in this world who would ever admit to being evil. It's never a compliment. It's never good. And yet, I think... I think it's a very common thing. You see, evil can refer to anything that is in opposition to God. There is good and there is evil in this world. It is an either or thing. I mean, it's not one or and it is either evil or good. And the only thing that can be called good is that which is of God or by God. And anything else You can call it evil because out of an evil heart comes something that is not the design or the way of God. And when you're doing things not God's way, it's evil. What if I told you there's a lot of things about the way the church is run that is evil? Well, we would all come on. That is, that's about as bad a thing as I've heard you say. Well, you figure it out. If they speak not, any of us, if we speak not according to this word, what does God say? You have no light. Now, if you're in darkness, is it an evil way? Because it leads to death. God does not honor what is evil. And God does not say that whatever you can think up and has great designs and everybody agrees with it, it will be good. Because if they speak not, if it's not according to God's word, it's evil. And wicked is another word that is not used here, but wicked defines evil. What if I told you, I would think you'd already know, but I'm trying, this is the last days we've got to know this. What if I told you that a lot of things the church leaves out that the Bible says, they leave out because they don't want to do that you know, the Bible says things just like trusting God or washing feet or tongues, whatever you call it, whatever you want to. These things are never hardly ever mentioned. They're left out because the people who run the show, who run the system, don't want that in their church. They don't want to deal with that, don't want to be like that. Let me ask you a question. Is it evil? Is it referring to the wickedness of man? Because man obviously looks at things that God says and says, I don't want to believe that. I'm going to manufacture some reason why we don't believe that today. So they come up with this idea that relieves us from having to do what God said. You know what Jesus said about that in Matthew 23? He said, oh brood of vipers, how can you? He said, mentions it here, being evil. How can you obey God and do what God wants you to do when you don't want to? You have other ways you want to do things. It's called evil. It's called wickedness. What about an evil heart in Hebrews 3? What about an evil heart of unbelief? Could that be possible that a person's unbelief or unwillingness, we'll get to this in just a minute, to do what God said would be called evil? that a man from his heart has brought forth something evil or wicked? Well, it happens with the nicest people. It happens to the kindest of people and the most gentle of people, many of whom were never really taught or never dealt with spiritually. And so they are allowed to just think their own way and because they feel good about their thinking and everybody else thinks the same way, that we're all right. And yet, there is a way that seemeth right, isn't there? A way that seems right, but the end of that way is death. Could I say this, if there is a way that seems right, but it's not, it's a wicked way. Not by wicked, mean, ugly, face slapping people cussing and drinking people, but some of the kindest, nicest, most educated people in the world. But yet it doesn't agree with God. It's not being brought forth as God wants it to, so it's it's not right. See, these are some of the key words. Because he said, out of the abundance of the heart, in verse 34, the mouth speaks. If the words in my heart that I'm going to speak and reveal who I am and how I am, If these words are not words that are in agreement with God, then I have set myself by my words in opposition to God. That's not what God said. For example, well, I don't think God wants to heal everybody. Do you mean that he's unwilling to heal everybody who is in right standing with him? Yeah. That's not what God said. That's not what he said. When he walked through Galilee healing the multitudes, he turned nobody down. Looks like there'd been one or two in there that would have qualified for God wouldn't want to heal. And he healed everybody who came to him. When he said the prayer of faith will heal the sick, well, it must. Now That's what I'm going to say. Whether I see it working all the time or not, I refuse not to say it. I'm going to say what God said. I may not understand all the things that God says, and I may quietly wonder about things, but I refuse, as best I know how, to say anything but what God said. If God says the prayer of faith heals the sick, the prayer of faith heals the sick. And if all of you died, the prayer of faith still heals the sick. We don't base our belief system on experience of man. Let God be true. Every man a liar. Now, that means we have to assign ourselves the responsibility as Christians to agree with God. What if I don't understand? Understanding is a work of the Spirit. Faith is an operation of God. If he says it's so, accept it as so. Believe it as so. Take him at his word. You don't know how he's going to do a miracle or how he's going to change your life or provide that great need in your life. You don't have a clue how he's going to do it. Just believe he will. That puts you in agreement. That makes you a candidate for his work. We can't sit around and talk about why it won't work, why it doesn't work. I can't understand. Well, I don't know about this. Why are they doing that? Well, I don't know. We can't be like that. We're violating all the things we've been taught. We're being negative thinking we're spiritual. God is good to us. God cares about us. And all the things he says in his word are nuggets of truth. They are gifts. God reveals by a spirit of wisdom and revelation his word to your heart. The easy thing is for us to just take it and believe it. God does all the work. We just accept it as true. That's our part. God must bring it to pass. He has to do all the performance. We only have to believe he will. You say, well, that seems to be awful hard. It is because of all the things that have flooded our mind through the years. All the negative teaching that we've had from our loving parents, school system, our friends, public opinion. I mean, we've been taught to be negative forever. The news is negative. So many conversations are negative. And all this talk show trash is negative. It's against, it's anti something and any kind of a radio program, it seems, if somebody brings God, or if they mention Jesus, it's just like it shuts down the whole system. All their circuits blow and lights go out and the flashing lights come on, emergency sounds. Jesus, yeah. Whoa. Listen to me, you know it's true. There's something about Jesus that is so offensive. And yet to us... That's the greatest name ever mentioned on this earth is Jesus. It's a name that God even assigned to himself. In his human expression, God called himself Jesus, Savior. And yet the world doesn't want to hear it. Let's don't talk about that. I want my religion private. I just don't think this is a place for that. The government doesn't want it in the schools, the government doesn't want it in their public buildings. The government hates it at graduation services. They want to leave God in a little corner of the community where the little church buildings are. And just leave God out of everything because of the negative influence in the last days on civilization. Everywhere today, it seems concerning God, his word and his way, You're facing a negative world, and you'll have to overcome it. Because you see, negative, negative by definition, means something that would contradict. It contradicts God. God says this, but you're saying this. Or God says this, but you're acting this way. your, Your actions speak louder than your words. Or being negative has to do with refusing to consent to. It means you disagree with God. It means you lack optimism. If God says you are, I am. I'm not healed because I feel healed. I'm not healed because I look healed. I'm not healed because I sound healed. I'm not saying I'm healed because of physical manifestations. I'm saying I'm healed because he said I was. And that if when I pray, I would believe that, it would happen. So I'm putting myself out there for the contradictions of a negative world, persecution, which is a negative thing itself. As a Christian, I'm taking a stand to speak as God speaks, hide his word in my heart, let out of the abundance of my heart his word come forth, and you pay a price in society. You're misunderstood. You're talked about. You're gossiped about. Your name is evil spoken of all because you made a choice to do it God's way. You're living in a negative world, and your negative minds has to be cleansed and changed. That's why the thing that God will, the reason, the way that God will sanctify or separate his church from the world in Ephesians 5 is the cleansing of the word, the washing of the word, the washing and the cleansing By the word of God. It's the word. And yet God gives us the word. That doesn't mean you're going to change. But it means now you know what to change to. Now it's up to you. You can either say, well, I'm going to agree with you about this, Lord. Or say, well, I'm going to separate myself. I'm going to step back. Now, what is the effect or the power of a negative mind? In other words, how does a negative mind have power to defeat or destroy or damage us. What is the fatalism of a negative mind? Well, first and probably foremost, I've just mentioned it, is doubt and unbelief. It's such a common thing. We're used to it. We accept it, and we justify it. We don't believe things. We use words like, "Well, I'm not ready for that." Well, I don't know about that. Well, I'm not too sure about that. Well, what did God say? Well, He said whatever He said. He said, "Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be we saved." Well, I know He said that, but but don't you think that there are a lot of people who who uh, just born in this world into goodness and they just sort of by osmosis just become good i mean they didn't go through some kind of a formal calling upon the name of the lord (laughs) like that and in that kind of foolishness and that kind of liberal thinking people deny what the lord said and see it their own way and they choose their way above god's way they always will I mean, it's like Jeremiah said, men love to have it so. When the prophets prophesy falsely, the priests bear rule by their own means. He said, and my people love to have it so. Then he asked the question, but well, what will you do in the end? Because none of that will gain you any favor with God. None of it. All your religion, all your religious efforts, all your years spent in the whatever. If it kept you in darkness, if it turns you away from just trusting in the Lord, it was wicked. And it was evil. Because it kept you from believing God for one thing. Doubt and unbelief. Matthew 13 and verse 58. Just a page over and a half. Matthew 13, the last verse. Verse. This is what Jesus said. And he did not many mighty works there because of what? Unbelief. He did not many mighty works there because of their un- unbelief. Unbelief means to distrust. Unbelief is apistia. I'm sure that... in impresses you. It's the word believe with a negative A on the front of it. If believe means willing to be persuaded to agree with and to do what God said, put an A in front of it, it means a person is unwilling to be persuaded to do what God said. Many of them are unwilling to be persuaded because of their you know because of their education, their common sense or you may have been in the, in the medical world, and the only healing you've ever seen comes from, from a, a procedure or a, or a drug or something else. I mean, that's in your mind. That's the way you live and function. You see it every day, you see it all the time. And if you wanna get rid of this, you gotta do this. And you come to the Lord and he says, such is not true with God. It is with man, but not with God. For with God, if thou canst believe all things are possible, ask and you shall receive. What things ever you desire when you pray, believe. That's the way God will do it. And the prayer of faith will heal the sick. And because that has never been a, an experience in a, in, a, in a school or a plate of, place of learning, how can that be? And you naturally, we're all in some way like it. We naturally separate ourselves from that. How can that be? I remember vaguely, vaguely, the first time I heard about divine healing and, and the questions I had raised against it. I'd been sick my whole life. I mean, I'd been sick. Had a lung operation. Half of one lung is gone, and I'd been through this, and pneumonia all my life. I remember that surgeon told my mother it took, it took two hours to separate my lung from the pleural wall or from the cavity in order to get half of it out. It had just been so whatever that terminology meant or something like that. It had just been sick so much. So when somebody tells me, with that being my background and experience, that God heals and he heals by faith, and faith is believing that when you pray that God did it and you accept that as true, that doesn't make good sense. How can it be? But then again, on the other hand, nobody ever taught us anything about God and what he does. It was never in the bulletin as a title of the message. The preacher knew nothing about it. He himself taught against it. And the people who taught him taught against it. And the people he grew up with spoke against it. It was natural to be negative, just as it is natural to doubt. We doubt things we can't see, like Thomas did. I'll believe it if I see it. You wouldn't believe it if you saw it. You'd know it if you saw it. You have to believe what you can't see. That's what people have a difficulty with. We live in a right now, no money down world. And if you can't see it, then it's hard to believe it's true. But everybody can believe what they don't see because, again, remember the pop machine we've told about 6,000 times? You put money in a Coke machine to get something out of it because you believe. You flip on a switch, knowing the light's going to come on, you start looking around moment as soon as your finger hits the button because you believe. You're able to believe. It's just that your faith in things, the power to believe in something that you can't see like your Coke machine, It's the same power that says, I can't believe that about what God says. Same power. It's an act of your will. In one case, I am willing to believe with the instructions on the Coke machine, invest money in it and await the prize. And on the other hand, I am unwilling to believe that if I just pray, I'll be healed. I can't accept that because of this Well, this negative influence of all your surroundings, your environment, people, you know, everything is negative. And I'll tell you something else about all of us. The world doesn't applaud us when we're positive. They think we got our heads in the sand. They think we're somewhat crazy. And yet there comes a time the Bible says they will ask you a reason of the hope. And if hope, is anything at all, it's worth a whole message. Hope itself is a positive expression of the word of God in you. Because it's what you expect to happen. I am convinced, I'm waiting on God. It says that faith is the substance of such hope. Faith, accepting as true what God says in his word and awaiting the performance of that truth patience this is how it works and yet all of us have been allowed to think most all of our lives in opposition to God negative we have we've just never seen it God's way nobody ever taught us God's way we always heard that well God could God has but you can never be sure that he will because sometimes he doesn't want to That's a convenient way to explain why church isn't healed. Because of unbelief. They can read the Bible. They know what God said. They just can't believe it. Let me show you a positive approach to faith. Romans chapter 4, Abraham was told he was going to be a father in his aging time of his life. Remember what he said? He said, with regard to the promises of God, he staggered not with regard to the promises of God that you're going to father a child at age 100 to a 90-year-old woman. Impossible, the world said. That can't be so. Wait a minute, world. God said it was going to happen. He probably meant it another way. So you see, it's easy to be negative because it doesn't fit in our way of thinking. We do that to the Bible. I don't know about that. We do that with church decisions. I don't know about that. And I've had complaints all my ministerial life, all my pastoral life. I've had complaints about doing this this way or doing that, that way. And, and blah, 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 blah. Because people just don't want to agree with you. They may have a better idea. You say, well, they might, but there's a better way to get that across too than to hear about it as a little group talking in the church. I haven't heard anything. I'm not after anybody or anything. I'm just saying that it's such a negative world you live in. It's so easy to talk negative. Well, I don't know about that. Well, I can't believe that. Well, I know he talks about healing all the time, but you know, if God was so big about healing, why aren't everybody healed? Well, in your case, it won't work for you because that's unbelief. To have faith is to agree with God. You just said, I don't agree with God. I know he said it, but I don't think that's what he meant, or I don't think it works. That's your opposition to God. That's the damage that a negative mind is doing in your life with regard to faith. But Abraham... The Bible says that he staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief. You know, the word staggered is translated waver. Have you ever heard a verse where it says, if you waver? Let me tell you another way. It's used, remember Mark 11:23: 23, whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. The word doubt in Mark eleven twenty three 23 is the word staggered. Doubt. It means doubt. It means refusal to agree with. Doubt. Matthew 21 and 21, all things whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing, and if you don't doubt, you'll get it. That's what this verse is all about. It's a positive thing. If you stagger not, I don't care how old you are. Abraham was thinking, you know, I don't know how this could even possibly work. He might entertain the thought for a moment. But his mouth said, if God said it, God will do it. And everybody thought, Abraham, you're nuts. You've been out in the sun too long or you're getting old and we need to get some help until Sarah was in her time. And then nobody could figure that out. They even doubted that. Well, it's a tumor. Sarah's not pregnant. She said, that's a tumor. Poor soul. But then they started putting diapers on tumors, and then everybody had to change their way of thinking, see? It's amazing how negative the world and so many people really are. When it comes to God, how negative so many people are. Look in Ephesians 5 and verse 6. This is a negative one. Let no man deceive you, the Bible says, by any means, methods, or ways. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Now, the word disobedience means, again, refusal to believe, unbelief. In other words, to be disobedient to God is a sign of opposition to God. Would you agree with that? Don't agree with it because I said so. Think about it. If I am unwilling to obey what God says, then I am putting myself in opposition to God's head. God, the word is unbelief. It's again that word with an A on front of it, a different form of that word, but it's got an A on front of it, and it means you're unwilling. Unwilling to be persuaded, unwilling to accept it, unwilling to believe it, because it cannot be. How can this be? It's just like the critics of the Bible very often criticize miracles in the Bible because they don't make natural sense. The Red Sea, for example. Jericho's walls. Jonah and the fish. Abraham and Sarah, or the resurrection of Christ. It has no natural explanation. Therefore, it is rejected because a natural man lives in a natural world, he is ruled by natural law, and he cannot see things that God says. Therefore, he lives, maybe religious, but he lives in opposition to God and his way and accepts miracles as either a myth or some undefined explanation as to why that didn't work comes to pass. Like a man told me once, whenever they got to the River Jordan to cross over, Joshua took the mantle and hit the water, and the River Jordan spread apart so all these Jews could walk across on dry ground at the Jordan? He said, well, at that particular time in history, it has been proven. That's easy to say. That the planets lined up. Somehow or another, they all they all kind of got in a right in a a straight line or some kind of a astronomical lineup. And it affected the earth on that little spot in Israel. And it made the little water go spread out like that there so all the little people could go across. But see, that satisfies a natural mind. Because God hadn't pulled anything over on uh, you, I understand what he's talking about. He, you know, it was it, it was natural, and you know the Red Sea was really the Reed Sea, about that deep, and they just splashed water and went the other side. And they talk about the resurrection, where they probably hid his body somewhere to make it look good, but it can't explain why men would die because they were so affected by his rever- by his resurrection later, if they knew that he was hidden away somewhere and it was a myth. Why would they die for a lie? But they did. Not for a lie, but they died because they believed that he was alive. They saw him. Ah, No, no, that's not what happened. See, the world and what it teaches church folks is just anything but what God says. And the church has been allowed to get by with it. People have been allowed to doubt. People have been allowed to hold back, hang back. Come as you may, come when you want to, if you want to. You've been allowed to do that because you're the master of your circumstances, you're the master of your life, and after all, God is somewhat static, waiting on you to do something so he can find out what he ought to do. You're a little God, you're supreme little beings, and you're the masters of your destiny. And all this stuff about God ruling in your life by faith and stuff, come on. This is a new age, and it is. It is a new age for sure, but in Ephesians chapter five and verse six, that no man deceive you by any means with vain words, but because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Let me show you a good example where that happened. Go to the book of Numbers. Put your finger or piece of paper or pencil or something there and go back to the book of Numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And look at chapter 13, verse 30. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess possess it, for we are well able to overcome. You know the story. Twelve men came out. Twelve men came back carried uh, grapes and evidence of the fruitfulness and the vitality of that land. Ten of the men said, you know, we got all of this, and that's great. Fertile valleys, yes, 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 yes. But uh, folks, let's be, here's a good word to describe negativity, let's be real. Let's be honest and real about this. That land has more ugly people in it than I've ever seen. There are warriors and warring people down in the valleys. There are iron chariots. You can't burn them up. You can't stop them. <coughs> the people are warring people over over in Gath, near what is today called Gaza. They're giants. We're like grasshoppers in their sight, folks. Let's get real about this. There is no way that we as a bunch of slaves... Uh, And 40 years of wandering around, we haven't even been training. Forty, And we're going to go in here with our kids and face that? This is nuts. I don't think they use the word nuts. This is not sensible. It's not reasonable to think that a bunch of nobodies with nothing can go in and conquer warriors and armies. They've been fighting and warring their whole life. We've only made bricks. We're soft compared to them. There's no way we can do this. And Caleb said, hey, knock it off. We are well able to take this land. Let's go in. And the people said, you know, you're one of those crazy people. You're not even thinking clear. Look at you, Caleb, a man. Look at your family. I mean, how are you going to fight that? Caleb would just simply say, God will fight for us. We're only doing something he gave us to do. Let's trust the Lord that he'll take care of us. Well, he went on to say, but the men that were, verse 31, with him said, we're not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than us. In a sense, that may be naturally true, but spiritually it's negative because it puts you in opposition to contradicting God. God said, you can you're saying I can't. And verse 32, and they brought up an evil report of the land. Was the land good? Or what is evil? God said, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. The people came back and said, yes, but we'll all die there. It's a place we don't want to go. And they brought an evil report. A wicked report. Look at Numbers chapter 14, verse 11. And the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me? How long will it be before they believe me? For all the signs which I've showed them since 1516, since the Reformation. the 1500s what more must God reveal to the church about who he is and what he does before somebody will believe him we believe what man told us that God didn't mean but who believes what God said who believes it and when the preacher does say, look, God said it, let's go take the land. Then you lose members. It's just like he said there. They said, we can't do that. We're not able to do that. This is the power of negativity. It limits us. It, it defeats us. It holds us down. And also in chapter 14, verse 22, he said, because of all those men which have seen my glory, and my miracles which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these 10 times and have not hearkened unto my voice, verse 26. And the Lord spoke unto Moses and unto Aaron saying, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation? Let me ask you a question. What was evil about God's people? Was there something evil about the people, specially, particularly chosen by God to be his own personal people, where is there something evil about them? What did he say to his own disciples? He said, If you then being evil, they questioned everything he said too, until he opened their understanding in Luke 24. They were just being who they were. But God never left them as who they were. He brought us to him as who we were, but he doesn't want to leave us who we were because he has to judge that. So to deliver us from judgment, he's given us his way. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, in Moses, or in Joshua, and Caleb. Think like God does. He didn't say you fully understand all of this. He didn't say, well, let's wait until you get a revelation of what this actually means. Sometimes, folks, you don't have time to do it. You just have to go, and as you go, understanding comes. There are three words in Hebrew. There's knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. They're vital words They connect. Knowledge is just accumulation of facts. Wisdom is what to do with those facts, and understanding is what those facts are about. Oh. Then you come and say, oh, yeah, okay, I see it now. Whereas in the beginning, okay, Lord. And then later he shows you, as you look back in your personal lives this morning, how he led you this far, can you? And how you escaped a lot of things you escaped and survived some things you have survived in your life. Now you understand He was showing you something you couldn't have seen any other way. Now you got it. But he does that to his people. Not his people who draw back and, well, I don't know about that because there's something evil about that. But his people who are saying, Lord, I am willing, realizing what you brought me out of, I'm going to take you at your word. Listen to this, verse 27. How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? In this case, murmur against the preacher. I've heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. Say to them, say to them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. Now, does that agree with Matthew 12, where we started? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if what comes out of your heart as your belief or your faith, if it doesn't agree with God, is it evil? What did the people say about what God said about going in and taking the land? They said, We can't. We can't do that. And what did God say? You're an evil congregation. I said you could. You said you can't. Caleb said to go. Joshua's going. Now they're going. They're going because they have a spirit that is after God. They don't understand how they're going to win these battles. They have no clue how they're going to deal with with those iron chariots. They don't have a clue. They just know that the iron chariots and the giants don't have a chance when it comes to God dealing with those people. And greater is he that is with us and in us than whoever is out there against us. This is what he said. He said, they won't go in in verse 28 because as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness and all that were numbered of you according to your whole number from 20 years old and upward which have murmured against me. I don't know how many people we're talking about here, but I would submit to you that there's a far greater number of these people that were over 20 than were under 20. Most of these people died in the wilderness. It's another sermon, but you know, Paul speaks that not all who are elect were chosen. They were in an elect race, the elect people. Some of them did, the remnant did, but all the professors and all the followers when put to the test Most of them failed the test and didn't make it. They had a form of godliness. They denied the power. You know why they denied it? Because by nature and by choice, they were negative. They just simply would not agree that it's going to be as God told me. I know God said it, but I just don't don't see how that can work. I just don't see how that is possible. Listen to these words in Psalms 78. Psalm 78, about the same experience we just read about in Numbers. Here's how the psalmist records it. Psalm 78, verse 7, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God and the teachings of God and all the things God has shown him, but they might keep his commandments. That's positive. And then referencing the negative, and might not be, as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. Now listen at these words. A generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. That's where negative ideas come from, a heart like that. There was a refusal to see things God's way and a refusal in their life to be what God wanted them to be. I will not. Verse 10. He said, They kept not the covenant of God, and refused to walk in his law, and forgot his works. You have to set your mind on things like that for this to happen. You have to have it in your heart and mind that I will not put myself in public repute and dispute and set myself for persecution by believing something so extravagant is going to happen in my life, let alone confess it. Well, people would lock me up. Well, that's a choice you've got to make. Well, I lose all my friends. That's a choice you're going to have to make. Well, people will think I'm awful. That's a choice you'll have to make. That's just part of the deal. Before you get to heaven, God will have humbled you. Trust me. He led them in the wilderness 40 years the way they led, and they went through this and went through that to humble them, to show them who was God and who they were or who they weren't in this case. Psalm 78, look at verse 19. Yea, they spake against God. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? That's like saying we know he has, we know he could. We just just aren't sure he will. He did it once. I don't know if he'll ever do that again. This is what, listen to what it said. Therefore, the Lord heard and was Roth. It's a good British sounding word if you're in Britain this morning. Roth. It means to be angry. So a fire was kindled against Jacob and anger came up also against Israel because. Verse 22, because. Verse 22, because. Verse 22, because. God was angry Because. Remember we read in Ephesians five, twenty six a while ago, the wrath of God has come upon the children of unbelief, disobedience. Therefore, verse twenty two because they believed not God and trusted not in his salvation. Maybe they had their own way of seeing it. Well, I don't think you have to do all that. I don't think salvation involves that. I think if a man just is sincere, I think if a man is honest and really wants to do right in his life, I think he will go to heaven because somebody has taught us that you can write your own ticket to heaven. You don't even need Jesus. You don't need the gospel. You just need to be in your own sight, a better person than most people. Just be good and convince yourself you're too good to go to hell. Hell's for bad people, and I am certainly not a bad person. My mother told me I wouldn't, so I'm not a bad person. And so, therefore, I don't need all this Jesus stuff. I don't need to labor in the truth. I don't need to, to strive to enter into some narrow gate. I'm probably good enough when you get right down to it. All you that want to be heroes, go ahead, but I think you know, as far as I'm concerned, I'm all right. Who prays God for his word? Who taught us such trash as I just said? Who taught that? Who gave us that as a truth? Who told us that we don't have to to try or labor to enter into rest? Who told us we don't have to do anything? Where did it come from? What kind of a negative human soul has brought such discord into the church setting us in opposition with each other, the do's and the do nots. <laughs> and what kind of person is it that believes that? How, who can read the Bible to see what God wants and then say, I don't think so? Who? No wonder God is, to use a mild word, no wonder God is not happy with, with church, church people. We've set aside all the things that he said this is the way walking in it because we have our own ideas of how it works. And when we set aside his way and do things our ways, we not only become negative-minded, but we put ourselves in opposition to God. We're contradicting God. Let's go on. Let me show you a couple more things here. Verse 31. The wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them and smote down the chosen men of Israel. And for all this, they sinned still and believed not for his wondrous works. My, my. And verse 37, for their heart was not right with God. Neither were they steadfast in his covenant. Let me ask you a question. Is it not the duty of ministry to inform God's people that we are to be steadfast in his covenant and live according to his word and do what he says? Isn't that a pressing thing? Would God put such a mandate on ministry to say that when you stand before these people, cry aloud and spare not? Could I say it that way? Isaiah, what, 58? Cry aloud and spare not. They're religious people in, in verse two of that, verse, of that chapter. But verse four says, they, in effect, they hate God. They have no intention of living his way, just like a lot of people in churches. I know I talk about this maybe every week. At least I think I do. Seems to me that I get no relief from hammering away. But I also look at this vile world that I know God's going to judge it, and God forbid that we be judged along with the world. Now, I'm going to pick this up again next week right here, but I want, in closing, you to turn to the communion chapter in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 11, if you will. 1 Corinthians 11, with reference to what I just said... About being judged, take this home with us today, First Corinthians 11 and verse 30. In the church, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Now remember, at the Corinthian church in chapters one And three, they were a divided bunch of people. They were followers of men who had different ideas and distinctions amongst their little groups. And Paul came up and he said, who's done this to you? God isn't divided like that. He said earlier in this, right before we got to this chapter here, you come together for your communion for the agape feast. You bring your food because we're gonna have a together feast. And yet some of you eat over there and some of you sit over here and back there and over here and there's nothing of unity and harmony amongst you because you've all got something against each other. You don't wanna come down to somebody else's level or something. So you begin to have disharmony and you back off and you back away and what you're doing is not what you've been taught. You chose to separate yourself like that. You cho- that was a choice you made. God did not say to do that. Not amongst his people. He did say come out among those who won't believe. But you have caused what God, one of God's major end time works in the church, one of the major end time works is the unity of his people. The oneness that they all may be One. And when you have your own opinion about how everything ought to be, no, I don't know about that. No, I'm not, uh-uh. Let's just eat here. Well, it doesn't matter. They got their own. They got enough. What if they don't have? It doesn't matter. Look, we got ours. We believe God. If they have any faith, let them get their own. There's nothing of that that shows harmony with God. It shows disharmony. It's never good. And like Paul said, when you come together, in this chapter, he said, when you come together for this wonderful feast, I applaud you not. You're not to be commended. You're to be questioned. But here's, here's a problem in your church. For this cause, many are weakly and sick among you, and some sleep. Many sleep. For you see, if you would judge yourself, you would not be judged. But when we are judged or located by the Lord, we are chastened of the Lord. Why? Why? How's it end that we should not be condemned along with the rest of the world? Let me ask you a question as we close. Is this world condemned? Why is the world condemned? Because it has rejected Christ. I can say here this morning to some degree, my heart grieves to a degree for the nation of Israel. for It's a godless nation. They have a God that's in a book. They have no altar. They have no high priest. They have no Messiah. They have no temple. How can they deal with their sins? How can they bring a sacrifice? They don't even have a place to do it or a priest to receive it. But they're religious, and they're going to be judged. I pray for a revival in Israel. They have little use for religion over there. They like the money that it brings in. Christians love the place, and we should all go so we can get a plane big enough to put us all in it. You'd go, wouldn't you? But there's a rejection of God by people, and it's bringing judgment. Something makes us negative in this world, and God brings us to him to make us positive. God help us. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would continue to do a work in us to deliver us from self and flesh and me and my and mine-ism from being self-serving, From thinking higher and more of ourselves than we should. Give us the heart of a little child, Lord, to look at you with respect and honor and to be willing to obey your voice and come when you call and to do your bidding. I pray that your blessing will descend upon people in this congregation. We are a needy people. When it comes to the extravagance of your spirit, we're still poor. Grant us, O God, a filling, a freshness that every day is a new adventure with Jesus and give us positive minds and deliver us from being so negative. This I ask